following program is produced by the Align in the Sound team. If you like what you hear, please stick around at the end of the show. To find out more, contact us and contribute towards a positive future. Good morning. Happy Christmas. Merry Yule and solstice blessings to you. You are listening to Scotty Foster and Zena Richardson, your host today with Behind the Lines on 2XX Community Radio 98.3 FM in Canberra. And that fabulous song was Catch and Store Energy by the formidable Vegetable Sound System. So this morning, we're going to be talking about some wonderful ideas, uh, community energy cooperatives. So for wherever you find yourself listening from today, we hope the season is being kinder to you than the last. It's certainly very different from the Christmas of 2019 when our ACT air was wretched with bushfire smoke and near unbearable heat, adding to the constant anxiety of the worsening situation across our country. Even though the Australian sun can be a harsh benevolent in this era of rapid climate change, it is still our best chance of harnessing an enduring and affordable sustainable energy source to feel our consumption needs. This morning's guest is chatting with us live from Glasgow in Scotland. Uh, his name is Tom Knockholds and he's the co-director of the Community Power Agency and one of the founding members of Sydney Group Pingala Energy. Tom's vision of the future is one where people share the benefits and the burdens of the world more fairly. Tom fundamentally believes in sharing and collaboration has become an enthusiastic participant in the Coalition for Community Energy, the sector-wide collaboration for the community energy sector in Australia. And Scotty is also going to be donning one of his many caps this morning and chatting to us from the guest chair about PrePower, an ACT energy cooperative that aims to make energy affordable and available to all. So welcome to the show, Tom, and I imagine it's quite chilly and early in the morning for you there in Glasgow. Uh, no, we've got very warm weather here today. It's going to be nine degrees and uh, and raining. So uh, yeah, unseasonably warm. Oh yeah, so that's the tropics by Glasgow standards. At this time of year. Yeah. <laughs> so, are you any chance of a white Christmas for you this year? Ah, uh, it's always hoped for in this these parts of the world, um, but it uh, it does rarely materialise. I, I experienced a, an amazing white Christmas a few years ago over here when we were travelling on holidays and it was pretty incredible. So it, it, is, a, it is a great experience if you can, if you can get yourself yeah. one. Well, I'm wishing for you a nice white Christmas, but not one that shuts the roads down or causes any, any havoc because I know they're not used to a lot of snow over there, so there's not often a lot of snow ploughs on, on call. Um, so anyway, welcome yeah. to the show. And um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about your background first. And so you, you left your corporate career in 2012 to pursue your vision in com- the community energy sector. What led you to make such an impassioned leap of faith? Yeah, well, I guess I've always, I've always been a natural environmentalist. I've always had this voice inside of me that's been, I guess, a striving to be heard, yearning to be heard, um, talking to me about the the importance of looking after the natural world. This awareness that human beings are the only entities on earth with a right to earth and that sometimes uh, our actions do do damage to the detriment of others and to the de- detriment of, of human beings. But as is often the case for many people, you, you get on with life and um, you, you, you have the challenge of establishing yourself and careers and, and earning money and then that becomes a success and it and it, and it it draws you in. I found myself at the at the end of a 
sort of fairly long career in the IT industry. I was I was working in one of those high-rise buildings in the city centre in in a large commercial law firm. I'm not a lawyer, but uh, I was I was working in a law firm helping them do sustainability projects and roll out technology into into their into their offices and I fairly innocently um, read an, a memo that was sent to all staff and it, and it and it said you've heard about fracking and coal seam gas extraction in the news come along and find out what it's all about uh, it was sent to all staff not just the lawyers and I thought, oh, that sounds really interesting. I, I, I am I am aware of this and I know that it's a bit of a problem. So I went along and to, to my horror, it was a how to guide your client's coal seam gas exploration license through the regulatory framework to guarantee a successful outcome. So it was basically the manual on how to and, rape the earth a bit more, right? Pretty much, yes. And, you know, you can work for these big um, and complex organisations that are doing bad things, but you can, you can, you can always compartmentalise it and rationalise it. Um, and for me, after all, I was just working on the technology side um, and I was doing sustainability projects, helping the, helping the firm reduce its impacts. But when something like that is so blown up so much in your face, it becomes very hard to, to ignore. And I, I don't think it's an overstatement to say I had a, a minor epiphany and I did that thing that we've perhaps all sort of heard about. Maybe you see the, the motivational speaker get up, get up in front of a, a crowd and say, hey, I used to have one of those high-powered jobs. And trust me, the best thing you can ever do is to just quit your job and go and do something with more meaning. And you sort of, <laughs> you sort of nod your head and go, "You're, you're right. That sounds very easy." <laughs> but it turns out, it turns out they're right. Those people, <laughs> and and it really, it really isn't worth it. You may be earning your money, but you're gradually selling your soul. And the best thing you can do is to get out of it. And, yeah do something with, um, with, with some meaning and purpose. As I, as I joked for a, a long time afterwards, it, it, it was really exciting getting into the field of community energy. And, and I'd, I'd say to people, look, I'm, I'm, doing the, I'm doing the best work I've ever done. It's really meaningful. I'm meeting the most amazing people. I'm, I'm, I'm learning so many things. I've never earned less money. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, this is the thing. If you stay in that job that is, you know, a real disconnect from your values, you're slowly killing yourself too, you know. I think we all come here with a contribution to make and when you are able to identify that and distill it down into something that is viable for you to apply your your interest and your skill sets to, I think the world's a better place for it. Yeah, and I think um, one thing that's really relevant for me and perhaps for people that are listening is I, I did consider what my pathway would be as I, because I knew that I was changing into a new career, and I, I considered whether or not it would be sensible for me to 
go down the education route. So find something like a, maybe a, a postgraduate uh, qualification or something like that that would give me a stepping stepping stone into into yeah a for purpose career. I decided not to do that. I decided that actually my strengths lay in in applying, not in apply like learning through applied working, uh, so I guess what you'd call vocational. So what I did instead of going down the education route is I threw myself into a, a lot of volunteering. And ultimately that volunteering led to some some paid work and over time I've been able to make it a, effectively a full-time, a full-time job working in the community energy sector. But the point I'm making is that my education in learning about this stuff has been through application and I kind I kind of sometimes think that what I've done is a bit like an MBA in applied social enterprise <laughs> but without the formal education bit of course just been an incredible it's just been an incredible journey of discovery and and, and education well, you've been to the School of Life. I mean, you've got a lot of um, experience, quite extensive experience and diverse background. You've done business management, project management, you know, and enge- um, engineering. So that, um, you know, to apply all these things to the community energy sector makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, and it's certainly been a strength that I've been able to bring, that I've got a, a, a background in a more corporate setting, which which is not even a necessarily a straight down the line conventional corporate setting but I, but I have a, a high level of commercial awareness and I think sometimes that that puts me in a really good position when when I've been doing the thing that I'm I'm really passionate about which is helping communities understand where their motivations lie and then translating that into the the plans that they need to make, in particular the business models that they need to develop or adopt and and put into put into practice, that's definitely going to help. Yes, it's making it viable. I think there's a lot of great ideas out there in the world, but sometimes implementation's the hard thing. You know, you know, in a sense where you can look at its viability on a on a commercial level. So, I mean, if we wanted to talk about, you know, that the human the system of human organisation is failing us, like even the rich sections of the world um, are destined to be thrown into very treacherous times with climate change, uh, as we can see even in our own, you know, in Australia, which we considered a wealthy, very fortunate country, and look what we just went through last summer. Um, so. If we're looking at relying on a system which got, has gotten us into this state and is showing no, no real signs of willingness or ability to change, um, that's not a satisfactory option. So this is where people like yourself and people who formed wonderful cooperatives step up and say, look, we've, we've got some better ideas. So perhaps you could tell our listeners a little bit about the concept of community energy. Like what actually is community energy and how does the concept work? Yeah, sure. So in, in Australia where... I'll say we, um, I do a lot of work with Australian collaborators still, but in Australia, we we are really lucky that we have uh, one very clear and agreed upon definition of what community energy means. It was developed back in 2014 when the Coalition for Community Energy was, was effectively brought into uh, existence. 
and I, I don't have it in front of me, but effectively what it says, I, I'm sort of paraphrasing, is that community energy is when a, a, a community of people come together to decide, develop, build, own, or operate their own energy systems. And it goes on to make the point that the energy in question can be on the on the um, supply side, so it could be generating electricity, or it could be on the demand side. It could be about energy efficiency, or it could be about ways of bringing the supply of electricity to customers. So that might mean if communities decide to sell electricity to themselves, perhaps through something like an electricity retailer, these all fall under the definition of community energy. So it's quite a broad definition, and I think that's really helpful. In essence, what it means is community members, uh, just reminding ourselves that a community could be both uh, one or both of a community of geography or, or a community of interest. So it's when a community comes together to have greater control, say, and to derive more benefits from... Uh, new new energy. Hmm. And what's not mentioned in that definition is uh, renewable energy or clean energy. I think it is in the Coalition for Community Energy's definition, but look, it's just pretty unlikely that a local community is just going to decide to install a polluting coal-fired power station next to themselves um, and, and effectively lock themselves into a sunset dying technology that, that <laughs> creates all sorts of problems in their local area. Yes, and so you know, absolutely. That, that's that, that aspect not necessary. Yeah, that's when you've got corporate greed stepping in and not caring about communities. So this this puts the power back into the community's hands to do it this way as well, right? Yeah, and I'll just I'll flesh that out a bit with some exa- with some specific examples. And so, you know, in, in my opinion, the the original conception of community energy in Australia was the solar bulk buy in the early two thousands it started to become apparent that there could be solar panels viably installed on the roof of your home, install a lot of the electricity that you need on your own roof. However, at the time, solar panels and inverters were still quite expensive and there wasn't an established marketplace of of installers who had figured out how to install these systems at, at the lowest cost. And so community members that wanted to install solar, they came together and used their collective purchasing power to not only make sure they were getting a good price, but also they were getting systems that were of of good enough quality to be installed on their community, on on their roofs, sorry, and 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 survive the the, the twenty five plus years that those panels will will operate for. What sort of fast forward um, a few years Yeah, go on. So I was gonna say so what sort of um, cost reduction were they looking at? So if they're now basically um, generating and storing or using and storing their own energy, but potentially excess energy, which might be sold back to the grid. Um, what sort of cost reduction are you looking at from a traditional supply? I think it's a bit, it's a bit hard to answer that, but I think one of the main, one of, certainly there would have been cheaper systems, so costs would have come down. But I actually think what's most important was that those bulk buy models, and they do still exist today. In fact, they're having having a resurgence. Um, I'll talk more about that in a moment. But 
I think what what they do primarily is they broker trust between consumers and suppliers. And it's driven by the consumers. The consumers themselves have clubbed together to ensure that they're getting a fair deal, not just price-wise, that's an important part, but also that the quality of the components that they're purchasing are going to be fit for purpose and that the way that they're installed is is also high quality. That that idea is 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 still still sort of running hot today. As I mentioned, there's been a resurgence. First of all, the resurgence began when uh, household batteries started to come into the frame a few years ago, and now there's bulk buys of electric vehicles because electric vehicles are, are likewise a little bit on the expensive side. And the idea is that if you can group enough people together, then perhaps you can have uh, a bulk buy price on. On, on hundreds of electric vehicles. And then um, able to offer the um, consumer something affordable that they can then potentially, they might not have been able to buy into the market before, but with a bulk system, they can. That's right. I think... Uh, Correct, yeah. I think Sea Change is actually doing an electric vehicle bulk buy next year. So yes. Look into that if you're interested. And they yeah. can get a free $10,000 loan to get you started or something? Interest-free, ten thousand dollar loan, oh, or something I like that. Haven't, haven't heard that aspect that's, uh, of it. That's from, yeah, yeah, I think the Greens are pushing that incentive. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. But sorry to interrupt you there, uh, Tom. The other thing I want to talk no, to you about. No, that's right. That's, I think yeah. Go ahead. But I just, because because we've touched because we've touched on this history a bit, I'll just flesh this out and give another example. And, I, and, and what I want to do here is just talk about how when when communities come together to solve their, their common needs. And of course, our focus for today is about energy, um, but it actually applied to you know, any area. It could be food or transport or, or healthcare or whatever. But when 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 that happens, something really incredible happens with it. And communities effectively empower themselves. They're building their knowledge and their capacity and their their resilience so that they can cope with the challenges that that they're facing. So, as I mentioned, solar bulk buys were what was sort of the, one of the original forms of community energy. But what really got things moving in Australia was when some intrepid people in Dalesford and Hepburn Springs in Victoria created, and, and simultaneously in Denmark and Western Australia, these two communities created community-owned wind turbines. They were extremely complex projects. And they were primarily driven by local members of, of the community. And through that process, they've, they've built their knowledge and skills and they've created this new institution. And today, for example, Hepburn Wind, um, I think they've completed the fundraising for building solar at the site of those two wind turbines. And uh, they're currently undertaking a very large uh, electric vehicle bulk buy. You can see the point there is that the capacity has been built in that community to go and do these things and they're doing more of them. Mm. And, you know, you you are um, behind a couple of these community energy orgs already. So I believe there's the Coalition, uh, not sorry, the Community Power Agency and Pingala Energy that operate under these principles. Could you tell us a little bit about those? I believe they're New South Wales based. When I I started out on my journey, uh, I... I started looking around. As mentioned, I did a lot of volunteering. And then I found out about this event that was that was being organised. It was the beginning of 
2013, and it and it was a information event about community energy that was being held at Redfern Town Hall. It was um, it was early March. I thought this sounds right up my alley, and I went along, and it was it was actually being organised by Nikki Ison from Community Power Agency, who at the time was developing a concept of informa- community information events and inception meetings, and she was working with April Crawford Smith, and that information evening turned into a, an inception meeting the following week, so on the 17th of March, St Patrick's Day. 2013, a bunch of people in Sydney came together and we mapped out a shared vision for what we would like to see with a, with an energy system in Sydney and that was ultimately what became uh, Pingala. Now, Pingala's vision at the time was... Uh, Pingala's vision has been refined but it's still true to what was discussed in the room on that day and Effectively, Pingala's vision is is encapsulated with two, with two words. It's it's fairer energy, but there's a sort of longer version and story that goes with that. It's probably enough to say now that really what Pingala believes is that by taking an active role as representatives of the commu- representatives of the community, we can build a fairer energy system that avoids much of the damaging outcomes and unfair outcomes that exist with the the current fossil fuel-powered centralised energy system. And I believe Um, that um, Pingala was doing a lot of work with First Nations to provide renewable power for Indigenous communities that was affordable? Yeah, Pingala's been on a really interesting journey and I've, I've been really lucky mostly because I was able to do a lot of volunteering and the reason I was able to do a lot of volunteering is I have a very um, supportive wife. The fact that I was able to give so much of my time meant that I was able to take on more of a leadership role along with April and really help set the strategy for the organisation as well as maintain consistency on the values and the culture of the organization but there's an, there's an adage that's well well known and, and it says that you can go quickly on your own or you can go a long way by taking people with you and, and it really feels like Pingala's been on that second second option that second path we've we started fairly slowly but actually what we did is we spent a lot of time getting out there, holding events, talking to the various communities that make up Sydney and and further afield. Ultimately, we did what most community energy groups do is they decide to copy what other people have already done. And we we, uh, effectively adapted the the Repower Shoalhaven and the Clear Sky Solar models, but but converted them into a cooperative model. We... Uh, ran a really successful first project, putting solar panels on the roof of the Young Henry's Brewery in Sydney, and uh, 
uh, I would advise any community group setting out doing their first project to do a to do a project on the roof of a local craft brewery where there's super cool <laughs> people with beards and tattoos and <laughs> it, it, it brings, a lot, of, brings a lot of public yeah. public publicity your way. That's right. Yeah, and you know we we kind of we we've been at it a few years and. There was a tendency, certainly in myself and I suspect with others, to feel a bit despondent that we hadn't actually done much. What we'd done is installed a fairly small 30-kilowatt system uh, on the brewery. But actually, we realised that we'd built this other thing that was much, much bigger um, and much more valuable yet intangible. And, th- and that was that we'd actually established ourselves as one of the one of the biggest brands in community energy in Australia. It, it's you know, kind of a little bit of magic. We don't really know how that happened, but we can sort of point to key ingredients. And, and one of those is definitely the, the amount of work we put in just talking about what it is that we do. And, and the other one that goes hand in hand with that is, is being very clear about what our values are. And our values are that, that, commitment to fairness, but also a commitment to collaboration. So, you know, we've we've become almost like if people talk about community energy, there are several organisations they'll always always mention or often come up in mention. Obviously, Hepburn, organisations like uh, Carina, based out of South Australia with their incredible crowdfunding model, and then the, the investment models, like Pingala, but also um, Clear Sky and and um, um, Repower Shoalhaven. Mm. Now, you mentioned um, a little bit earlier that Pingala is a cooperative at its core. So how does a, um, a community energy cooperative work like, um, for people that aren't familiar with co-ops? We went through quite a structured process to decide what we would become. And after we'd been through the whole process, helped by some really smart people at places like the University of New South Wales and University of Newcastle who were doing research into co-ops and other, and other social enterprise business options. And we just found that the values of the co-op were a perfect fit for what it was that we were trying to achieve. Now, a co-op is an, a, t- a type of organisation that is owned and controlled by its values. It's, it's, it's effectively when people are solving their collective needs and aspirations uh, through collaboration. And so what, what we needed to do was we needed to create a, a new legal entity. You know, we needed to register this new entity. It, it had to be able to make a profit and distribute that profit to its shareholders. So we had we, we decided to become a uh, distributing co-op. And so the distributing in, the, in that name there simply refers to the fact that profits can be distributed to the members. The important thing to understand about cooperatives is that they're fundamentally owned and controlled by their members. And that that ownership and control is achieved through one member, one vote. So that, that, that a highly democratic way of um, structuring a business, when you compare that with a company, companies have one share 
won the vote. Mm. And what that means, of course, is that people with more money, more shares, have more democratic control over the organisation. Or in other words, it's less it's less democratic and yeah. more capital. And probably I imagine if you've got more shares, your primary interest is going to be increasing your profit margin. So um, maybe not as altruistic as something that is focused on the collective good. That's right. Companies are, uh, are established as entities to maximise shareholder value. Now, of course, the only way they can achieve that is by identifying suppliers and customers and transacting between those two external parties. And they can't do that in a way that it would be too damaging. Otherwise, you know, the customers won't go there and the suppliers won't go there either. But we need to always remind ourselves that, that they are specifically there to maximise shareholder value. Mm. And co-ops don't, don't exist for that purpose. They exist to share the common social and economic goals of the members. That doesn't mean they can't have shareholders. Typically, the the, the members would be the shareholders, but it's it's a different outcome that they're trying trying to achieve. Hmm. So one of the thing, uh, sorry, I um, go ahead there, Tom. No, no, it's, I think it's, I think this one like kind of encapsulates it quite well. I was, I received an email from some company. I can't remember who it was. I wouldn't mention them anyway, but, but it's a really great company that, that, that has decided that it should try and do business better. And so they've gone down the route of becoming B Corp certified. And B Corp certification is as the name suggests, a certification scheme, but it's certifying that the company is running, being run according to certain ethical principles. And so effectively we now have, we now have this situation where if you want to know that the company you're dealing with is being run ethically, then you can, you can check to see if they're B Corp certified and that gives you some confidence that they are. Now, I, I think that we have a we have a sort of way of viewing this, which is to say, with companies, you need to we need certification schemes to tell us which which ones are being run ethically. With cooperatives, I wonder if we need a we need a similar scheme to identify the ones that aren't being run ethically. Hmm. Because fundamentally, this is the difference between the business model. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one is about just extracting as much money as possible. The other one is about delivering uh, value that uh, values to the the members. Yes. So it would be, you know, ideal, of course. You know, the cooperative model is designed to benefit the many. That's the whole point, I'm guessing, and rather than the few. Um, so. One of the things that um, Pingala did was they their flagship project was actually the pre-power cooperatives. So that was about creating energy cooperatives, like a whole group of them, and that put the consumer as the prime beneficiary, not the shareholders, as you just said. So could you tell us a little bit about pre-power and, and about its vision and its mission? Yeah, I should downplay the link between Pingala and pre-power. I think it's safe. It's fair to say that Pingala has been supportive and has lent some of its 
resources to support free power, but actually free power exists entirely of its own. It, 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 it is a, a genuine uh, initiative created by some members of the community in Canberra. I'm really privileged to be a part of the, the sort of the core team who are helping to bring it into existence. What Pre Power is, I think, fundamentally about is create, creating a model for supplying electricity to consumers that, that as you just said, that sort of our words is placing the consumer as the prime beneficiary of the business, not shareholders. So I think it's important to point out what a lot of people would sort of intuitively be aware of is that the, the energy system is undergoing an unbelievable seismic shift at the moment. It's been underway for a number of years now and it's going to, going to continue. What's happening is we're moving from a very centralised, very static, one-directional model of generating electricity in very large coal-fired power stations, transmitting those electrons down the transmission lines, the distribution lines, poles and wires in our streets to our households, where households use electricity in a very static and predictable way. We're moving from that system to a very dynamic, multi-directional, distributed system. We have much smaller generators. You know, wind, uh, uh, even even a large wind turbine is much smaller than a very large coal-fired power station. But we've also got households putting solar panels on their roofs. When when a household puts solar panels on the roofs, they're no longer just a a dumb consumer. They're a, they're a, they're a dynamic producer and consumer of electricity. And the electrons start flowing the other direction altogether. Now. Because of this change, because there's so much disruption taking place, we've got unbelievable levels of what a lot of people call innovation, but, but it's effectively entrepreneurs are piling into the space, developing new business models and new businesses to try and capture some of the value that was previously quite locked up. Previously, it was very difficult to capture the value of supplying electricity to a household, now there's new models and new ways of doing that. It seems like barely a day goes by that you don't hear about some new exciting technology or new exciting business that's going to be delivering energy in a new way to households or to businesses or whatever. But if you look at, if you look at the landscape and you look at all of those initiatives, I'm, I'm yet to identify one that's that, that doesn't conform to the norm for what all of them are doing. And what all of them are doing is they are shareholder-owned companies. And the primary motivation for a shareholder-owned company is to maximise value for the shareholders. And I just wonder, where do consumers fit in all of this? Mm. Who's out there making sure that in this incredible once-in-a-lifetime transition from centralised dirty energy to decentralised clean energy, who's there, who's there making sure that the new business models are at their heart 
fundamentally about making sure that consumers are the prime beneficiaries of the new business. Well, that and has to be, yeah, is. that has to be people who are not entirely focused on profit. I mean, you know, you said there's, there's, two, there's two separate brains here. There's the cooperative brain and the corporate brain, right? And the corporate brain <laughs> hasn't got the interest of the many at its heart. Yeah, so, yeah. Scotty, you just want to jump in there. True, yeah. yeah. No, no, that, that's, yeah. that's definitely the, the way of the co-op. So, yeah, I think it was in 2018 I got a call from Tom and, and Kevin. I've been trying to peddle the cooperative thing here in Canberra for, for four or five years mm-hmm. now. And um, they said, Scotty, we need someone to join our board and on prepower. So I figured out what it was and thought, oh, my goodness, I can't pass this up. So, um, yeah, I've been helping out with this for a while and we've worked out a vision, um, which is we see a world in which all local communities own and control enough infrastructure to meet all of their needs in a way which has positive results for people and planet. We envision the pre-power cooperative system as our means to provide community-owned and operated renewable energy equipment to provide for any community's electrical and energy needs. So... The mission, we're building the pre-power cooperative system to create opportunities for distributed investment in and community ownership of renewable energy infrastructure, provide our own funding source for renewable energy generation, storage, efficiency and electrification for our members. And we're providing and proving a model, the climate co-op model, as a funding source for development of allied cooperative systems which will assist other sectors in their transition to a society operating within planetary boundaries and we're trying to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by hastening the transfer to 100% renewable energy generation. Mm. So to do that, we're developing a a three-leveled cooperative system. First up, we've we've created um, a local cooperative, and the local cooperatives are where people will come in and they will will do their prepayments, which we'll talk about a bit later, and essentially... The prepayments buy and install a normal solar system on a normal roof um, that is retained in the ownership of the co-op and the co-op maintains and looks after that over time. And in return for for that, the, the customer pays their bills to us for the electrons that come out of the solar panels that they're using. And they get a, a quite a generous discount. They get a 30% discount off of the, the price it's the benchmark price that everybody has to advertise off in the electricity industry. Which I think is double what the um, the highest discount is by the you know the primary providers. I think their top discount, unless you've got some sort of um, additional government discounts, um, it's 15%. So you've just doubled their discount. With co-ops, they're about community. They're about knowing the other people. They're about keeping it on a, on a scale that's community scale. Um, certainly this, the pre-power co-ops are. And we don't want to get a really massive co-op, but um, we do want to encompass a, a large area and a, and a huge amount of people. So what we've made is the local co-ops very easy to replicate um, and just start a new one. And they're also really incredibly easy to run. And the idea of that is that... Um, once we get a couple of local co-ops going, they will create their own cooperative um, and they'll send 20% of their, their takings straight up to, the, to the, uh, the central cooperative is what we call it. So it's pre-power central. 
And Prepower Central uses that income stream to employ people to do all of the work and make life as easy as it possibly can be for the local co-ops. So the local co-ops only have to hold a board meeting every three months, have an AGM and figure out what to do with the profits, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there'll be a little bit more. And if anyone wants to volunteer and pitch in, then that's great. You know, mm-hmm. we'll definitely cater for that. But if you imagine, if we're trying to build a big system which will go in a lot of sectors and you have to come home from work and look after the energy business and look after the food business and look after the housing business and the transport business, Mm -hmm. you're not going to have time to go to work to pay for all these other things that you're running. So making it really easy like this to run that co-op is is the solution we've come up to for Mm. that. Well, that sounds a lot like economic democracy, right? That's the concept that you're running it on to make um, the philosophy that proposes the shift of decision-making power from corporate managers and corporate shareholders to a larger group of public stakeholders. And that includes your workers, your customers, your suppliers, your neighbours and and the public and the community at large. I guess it does. Yeah, yeah. And I guess economic democracy embraces even more than than Mm. democracy at work does because uh, we're including the customers Mm. and the workers and, and, and our our community who's investing in in the process as well. Mm. So I think uh, go the, ahead, the, Tom. The, the, there's a point I'd like to make. There's a point I'd like to make about that, and and I was I was thinking about this recently, and I was thinking, what happens when you design a business based on the way money needs to work? This is this is basically the current system that most businesses, most companies uh, have been structured around. And the, the main rule of money that they structure themselves around is this idea that money can be used to create more money. And that the, 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 the version of that that we're most familiar with is if you lend someone money, you'll get your money back with interest. Or if you buy shares in a company, you'll own those shares, but you'll be paid dividends. And what those businesses do is they start from that position. They start by raising money and therefore giving all of the authority and control to the people that have money. They use that to go and buy productive assets. They sell the productive output to the customers, they make a profit, and, and the shareholders are really happy. Now, what would happen if you instead designed business models that were based on the way the real world works? Now, in the real world, it's actually really uncommon for a thing, if left alone, to generate more of a thing. That's what money does if we allow it to have interest. But most things in the real real world don't behave that way. And most businesses that exist in the real world are also not operating in an environment that behaves that way. So they're not doing a passive income environment, basically. Yeah. And so what we're doing is we're, we're starting from a completely different starting point. In the real world, we want to install solar panels on the roofs of households those solar panels will produce electricity and someone needs to buy buy the buy that electricity to, to use it. So rather than start with money, we start with the reality of what's happening and then we say, okay, well, there's a completely different way that we could finance these things 
And that, that, that finance model is much more, well, it's, it's a mirror match for what happens with solar panels. And so what we do is we say, okay, people with money, you, you might be our investors, we will, we will take your money and in return we'll give you a credit which is redeemable in the future for electricity when it's produced by the solar panels. Now, it might sound like the same thing, but it's like, if you think about it, it's actually quite different. We're not saying to them that you'll get 10% interest per year no matter what happens. We're saying you'll get a share of the productive output. And so what we're doing is we're actually sharing the fruits of production. And through that mechanism, we can, through that approach, we can create a business which is not only for the shareholders and doesn't exclude other important business stakeholders from ownership, but it actually invites everybody to come in and participate in owning this collective thing. And as it turns out, when you structure the business that way, everybody's interests become aligned because it's in the interests of the people with money for the system to operate more efficiently. And it's likewise in the interests of the people who are buying electricity for the system to operate more efficiently. And it's not in anybody's interest to somehow uh, raise prices and extract value from you know one party over the other. That, that, that doesn't become something that anybody's interested in. So when you're talking about, you know, the money, investment money, Tom, is that the seed money? So, you know, say, for instance, you sort of trying to gain momentum here, you've only got a, a few consumers, you know, buying into the cooperative and having solar panels installed. So where does the seed money come from for the initial setup? Yeah, well, we've just, we've, we've decided in the early stages that the, the right thing to do was to prove the model in, in operation. Install solar panels on at least one household and show people that we can structure a business in a very different way. We can finance that business with a very unconventional but actually very low risk and really quite straightforward financing mechanism. Now that we've demonstrated it, we feel the time is right to um, expand it. And there's there's really two key strategies that we're using to, to do that. First one is we're looking for values-aligned investors to effectively lend money, to bring some money into this organisation to share those future fruits of production. The other... The other thing that we're doing is we're looking at house, for households that already have solar panels. There's a lot of households um, that already have sol- solar panels. And what, what I think very few of those households realised was it, it, they're not actually just set and forget. They, they do require some, some attention and some maintenance. A lot of the solar systems on people's roofs uh, are underperforming. Many of them have have stopped working because perhaps the inverters are no longer uh, operating. So we're inviting people to join pre-power and bring their existing solar panels into collective ownership so that we can make sure that they're performing as well as they possibly can and that any maintenance is being um, taken proactively. Mm -hmm. So I've got some um, 
figures here, and it says that you know, average household, if they consumed all the electricity from solar panels installed on their rooftops, the payback period is around four years, and um, panels continue to produce for about at least 20 years, um, maybe at a lower rate towards the latter part of their life. But a $6,000 investment is likely to return $30,000 worth of electricity over the panel's lifetime, um, with approximate maintenance cost of about $500 a year. So this, this sounds like a really good, you know, if you were throwing that at someone who wanted to do investment, that sounds like a very good opportunity. It certainly does. And you don't, you hardly need to know anything about money and finance and investment to understand that those numbers are really excellent. <laughs> like it's, 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 it's actually a complete no brainer. Unfortunately, however, that there are people who struggle to navigate the process of buying solar panels because there's a lot of misinformation, there's a lot of cowboys. People get really hesitant. There's a lot of misinformation. Some people actually struggle to afford the upfront purchase and they wonder whether or not they're going to get 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 the value returned to them you know, over time. So, for example, uh, retirees often, often fall into that category. They sort of think, well, solar panels are you know, something that is going to deliver returns over 20 years or longer. That time frame isn't necessarily... You know, relevant to me, and so it causes them to pause and, mm. and, and not proceed. Well, the other group that I think struggles to make this sort of investment would be renters because you know they're not um, upgrading their own property, and maybe they have a landlord who's just not interested in doing any upgrades or, or making good ER ratings, so they. Um, you know, they're not wanting to fund anything like this. So this would be a great opportunity for renters because I understand that all the equipment, look, all the hardware is is provided. They don't have to pay for it. Uh, And then it belongs to pre-power. So if they move or have to have it removed from the home, it goes back to pre-power. Is that that an accurate description? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just going back to the the point you were making a moment ago about how how beneficial financially this can be, there's actually there's actually a, there's a lot there to share. Remember, our model is about sharing the future fruits of production with more than just shareholders. It makes sense to start developing these really exciting new business models in an area like rooftop solar because there's so much to share. So we can we can say to people who have money but you know don't have a roof or an extra roof to install more solar panels, you can have a slice of the pie. And we can say to landlords, you can have a slice of the pie too. And there's still plenty left over for the renter who couldn't afford to pay for the installation up front to also save significantly on on their energy bill. So when you say that the renter gets a slice of the pie and the landlord gets a slice of the pie, so how does that work? How does the landlord... Um, benefit as well. So obviously the rent is the consumer and they're using the electricity. Um, and what would be the benefit to the landlord if you're trying to do a, a sell to your landlord to participate in pre-power? Well, I should back away from that a bit. It's a little bit theoretical. Um, we haven't actually developed that in the model, but it was more the point I was more making was that we could easily provide some of the, the, the money savings uh, and share that with a really relevant and important stakeholder like a landlord. After all, it is their roof. So perhaps we could provide them with 
what you might sort of conceptualise as a roof rental payment or something along those lines. Right. So would they receive any benefits from unconsumed energy? So say the consumers, you know, used everything that they need and there's surplus energy that's going back into the grid. Does the, does the landlord benefit from that or is that going back into the collective? No, the landlord would benefit because effectively what's happening is the consumer collaborating with a bunch of other consumers, so the resident in the house, is agreeing to buy the electricity produced by those solar panels over a long period of time. And that's extremely valuable. Every time that household buys some electricity from the co-op that they collectively own with all the other householders, they're putting, they're putting some money into the pot. And that money that's in the pot can be shared with the landlord to appropriately and fairly uh, reward them or remunerate them for the fact that they're allowing the solar panels to be installed on the roof of the house that they own. Right. And you'd hope that any landlord with half a brain would say, oh, actually, I'm making my property more attractive to tenants, (laughs) you know, by installing solar and making um, affordable energy an option for um, potential tenants. So, you know, you'd hope that would be an incentive enough. But but this, you know, I've encountered personally a lot of landlords that are just sitting on their property to sell it down the road and they've got no interest in improving it because they're expecting a knockdown rebuild on their block. So, these older homes, which well, are often rental rentals and offer often rentals that are from um, people of lower incomes, which are just you know living in very energy inefficient houses that are freezing in winter and and you know sweltering hot in summer, would really benefit from having clean and sustainable energy incorporated into the household. So this might be a way to incentivize a landlord to do that. Yes, exactly. I mean, landlords are people and uh, people are complex. So you're right. Hopefully they would see that. But I think as well you're touching on a bigger bigger area, which is why would landlords want to allow their solar panels to be installed on the roofs of their property? They themselves can't consume any energy. This is known as the split incentive. You know, the, the cost for installing probably normally would sit with the landlord, but the the incentive, the rewards from that goes to the tenant. Well, I think there's going to be increasingly seen that having solar panels is a desirable attribute in a home. Mm. Just as, I don't know, having an indoor toilet is desirable. You're not going to get as much rent for a house if it doesn't have an indoor toilet. No. You probably won't get as much rent for a house if you don't have solar panels on the roof. No, but I'm hoping that's... Yeah, I'm hoping that's where we're going because you look at, I mean, the summer we had last year, there's a lot of homes that don't have... Um, good heating and cooling systems in place and poor insulation. And then we had this um, abysmal um, bushfire smoke for about three months in the ACT last year and people were suffocating because they didn't have air conditioning, they didn't have reverse cycle units, they couldn't open windows and it was, you know, unbearably hot. So it became more of a norm for rental properties then to have a reverse cycle unit in. And I think the next thing will be, you know, when you're looking at your potential rentals, you'll be like, oh, it hasn't got solar, I'm not interested. Yeah, let's, let's talk briefly about diversity. I think this is really important. There, there are a bunch of people who are working on a variety of different interventions, you know, sort of new business models to solve this problem and similar problems like them. So different people are taking different approaches. Some, some people are coming up with like more pure financing models to give the landlords a a clearer line of sight to those financial benefits in a different way to the way that we're doing it. 
another initiative that I'm involved with, and there are other people working on similar things, is what do we do about the households who don't, don't have a sunny roof above their head because they live in an apartment or the roof is shaded or it's otherwise unsuitable? The, the, the point I'm making there is that there's a, there's a diversity of solutions being developed, and that is absolutely right and, and it's good. I would caution anybody listening to be aware of people with silver bullet solutions. Mm. The, 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 the problems that we're facing in the world today, problems associated with climate change and the huge growth in inequality and so forth, that, that, that's a really complex cocktail of problems. And anybody that tells you that their simple solution is going to solve that complex cocktail of problems, well, they're, they're, mm. they're, they're wrong. Mm. They're, either, they're either kidding themselves or they're kidding you. What we actually need is diversity of people working on diverse solutions to solve the really diverse <laughs> circumstances in which these problems are emerging. Mm. Now, of course, we think that the, 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 the method that, the, that we're working on has real merit and we, we, we expect that it's going to be you know, really successful in, initially in the communities in Canberra, but we're definitely not saying this is the, uh, this is the only way that things should be done. For, for example, if, if you're technologically savvy, if you know that you've got the discipline to do what it takes to maintain your solar system and you've got the money in the bank and you own your own home, you should probably just go and install solar panels on the roof of your own home. If you haven't done it already, it's kind of crazy that you haven't done it already. As, as you just said, you know, these, these things pay for themselves in, in as little as four years. Now, uh, expressing, expressing this sort of investment in, in terms of payback in four years is a really unusual way of describing an investment. It doesn't really translate to other types of investment very well, and it skews the, it skews the narrative, in, in, I think, in the wrong direction. A, an investment that returns the money in just four years and then keeps on returning that same of money, amount of money every year, that would be like having a term deposit that gave you 25% interest. Right. Yes. And it's also that, you know, this is as mad, mad. Yeah. Th this is something that you're not consuming once you're consuming over and over again, which a lot of products with a return are a one time consumption. Right. Yeah. It's like every year it will give you one quarter of what you originally put in year in, year out for 25 years. Actually, it'll probably last for longer than 25 years and it will probably increase the value that is given to you because guess what so um electricity prices mm. will inevitably continue to rise in the future yeah. so if, if you think about it from that perspective it's just like mind-boggling to look at a household who who plans to live there for more than four years who owns it who has money to install solar why, why don't you already have solar on your roof you, yep. you just should do it yeah so um, I think Scotty's got some um, information for us about the installation process, what that would look like. So people sort of wondering, how does, how does this work on a practical level? Yeah, that's right. So I guess to run through it sort of from the, from the start right through to the, the payment cycle, which is sort of the running state of the co-op. Um, so I remember 
a member comes to us and joins up, and that's just a $10 fee. It's a nominal fee, a membership fee, just to, to become part of the co-op. But what that gives you is the right to do two things. So it gives you the right to become a customer of ours, so have the co-op install solar on your roof, and it gives you the right to to effectively invest in in the in the co-op as well. I mean, it's not quite an investment because once you become a member of a cooperative, you're the owner of that cooperative. So you're you're investing into your own company. So it's a different thing. So a customer or someone someone who's just joined as a member, they'll look at their roof. They go, "That's sunny all the time. I reckon I could use solar panels." They'll come to us. They'll say, "We'd like to get solar installed by the, the co-op." We'll come out and check out the site and make sure there isn't a big blue gum right to the north or it's not more pointing south or there's not some bizarre roof or it's on a shed that's going to fall down or any of the things I've seen over the years. Um, and if it's good, we'll approve the job. We'll get a number of quotes from the uh, the installers that, that we know and we're, we're, we're taking notes on each installation, each installer we use, and we know who does a good job and we know who doesn't. So... Once that quote's been made and accepted by us, we'll notify uh, all of the members that there's an investment opportunity open. So it's not, an, it's not an investment opportunity in those particular panels, though. It's an investment opportunity in the production of renewable energy. So a member will accept that investment opportunity, make a payment to the co-op, and we'll just, we'll just um, either us or the central co-op will commission a normal solar installer to come and do the job. So once that has been installed on your house by the regular solar installer, then it starts producing energy. Now the energy that the solar panels produce can go to two places. So it can be used within your house and if, when, it's, when it's used within your household, that means it doesn't get exported out to the grid. But if you're not using enough stuff, then it will get exported out to the grid. And that's a different story because you still need to maintain a connection to the normal grid retailer. We're not a retailer. We don't sell you anything from the grid. So the discounts that you get are just from the electricity that is created on your roof and is used on the premises. And that's exactly the same situation that you would be in if you put solar on your roof anyway. So, so you get a discount on that energy that you use. So your self-consumption comes at a much cheaper price than energy from the grid comes. It's a 30% discount on that uh, on that that price, the, the price that um, energy retailers have to advertise against. So you start getting into the cycle now of generating energy, paying the co-op, and generating more energy and paying the co-op. And each time that payment's made, part of that payment goes back to paying the investors, and part of that payment, part of that payment becomes essentially a surplus. Now, the way we've organised it with these local co-ops, that surplus can go to the local co-op, and you know the local co-op might want a bit of reserves for emergency use. They might might be able, you know, you've got to pay back your investors, but after that, there's there's a lot left, and we can use that uh, and to put it into a, a community development fund, essentially. So. That's what we're going to do. We'll get that and we'll put it into a community development fund and the all the members of the co-op will then be able to use a participatory budgeting scheme, which is essentially uh, people will apply to us like they're applying for a grant. We will have our, our, um, our conditions and criteria for that. And then 
those that get through our conditions and criteria, the members will be able to allocate their portion of this surplus to them. So you might wind up having a, a, a local co-op surrounding your school, for instance, primary school, and you would get all the profits or the surplus to support things at your school, maybe mm-hmm. install solar on that or whatever you might or your footy club or whatever. Or your brewery, um, apparently. Your brewery, <laughs> your, your local cooperative development mob yeah, would be yeah. even better. But, yeah, your community land trust, um, a farming co-op, local pubs, cafes. Ideally, this will be creating the other sectors and putting them into So other climate model. co-ops, right? So, Essentially, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. So things that are doing the same thing as us in different sectors so that we can end up with the community owning their own energy assets and infrastructure. We can end up with the community owning their own housing and assets and infrastructure and uh, food production and all sorts of things. So, so this becomes a really integrated system, right? That's yeah. right. And yeah. all of these other sectors will also be doing this same thing. So yeah. that it's, a, it's a really intricate mm-hmm. sort of network that supports mm-hmm. each other. Mm. I mean, the thing about this wonderful topic is there's so much to explore and so much to discuss and we're getting to the point of running out of time yet again because, you know, we we love what we talk about and time flies. So if people want to get involved, if they've just listened to what you said, Scotty, and they would like to become a member of PrePower, how would they go about doing that? Who, Where do they get in touch and what information do they need? Uh, PrePower Co-op, so so it's P-R-E... Power, C-O-O-P, prepowercoop at gmail.com. And I believe there's a website with some of the flowcharts and things that you had just um, been using to describe the system that people could look at in more detail. That's right. And that one is prepower.org. <laughs> we are currently building content on our website, though. So, yes, if people are joining today and, you know, in the, in the period up to New Year, they might find... Not enough information there. So you could do one of two things. You could apply to become a member on prepower.org or you could send an email to prepowercoop at gmail.com saying you'd like more information and we can send some, something to you. We'll have the more sort of brochure type information on the website shortly. Mm. Yeah, the website that that website is, is uh, it's a, the app. Now that's the third layer of this co-op. Um, which is actually a a prepayments funding app which does all of that stuff and it does it in very tight parameters so that it's it's, it only does what it does and and it's quite uh, it's quite safe to use essentially Mm. yeah now do you have any um, solar installed on um, non-owner properties at this time like rentals or anything is there anybody that's um, taken the leap there and has got one installed no we're at the stage where we've got one install and we're we're moving on the second one um, but we haven't got that in yet that second one will be actually a, a transfer of an existing solar array to so someone that owns their own the solar co-op. right and they're joining yeah, the co-op okay. that's right but the first one was a straight out um, investment as we went through before and that's producing well and it's all working and we're, we're sorting out all of our, uh, our data metering and apps and APIs and, and various technical things. Well, I'm not doing that, as, as you can tell. Yeah. Anyone technical listening to that would be going, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But uh, we do have people in the co-op, luckily, who know much more about that. Right. Than and if people got really inspired listening to this idea and this concept and they want to volunteer or, or participate and offer some skills, um, would they just do the same thing, just get in touch with you and have a discussion? Or are there any um, upcoming events or public talks they could attend to find out more about it? Yeah, well, um, 
that that uh, email is very very much a, 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 a sort of broad scale <laughs> point of contact. But also, this is being um, this has been done by Co Canberra, partly. Uh, Kevin and I, who's mm-hmm. de- Kevin's developing the app, both members of, of Co Canberra, and we hold meetings on the last Monday of every month. And um, you can definitely get in touch by coming down to the food co-op at 7 p.m. on the last Monday of each month, except for this month because mm. it's going to be Christmas or something. Mm. I think. Yeah, and that's another way to get in touch if you're in Canberra. Mm, great. And Tom, I know you're but busy. You don't need to be. Okay, tell me. I know you're busy doing stuff in Scotland, but if people are interested in in some of the um, orgs that you've been involved in. Is there a good way to get in touch with you or get in touch with those orgs? Yeah, so Pingala is pingala.org.au and um, have a look at Community Power Agency at cpagency.org.au. And what Community Power Agency is really helpful for is if you're perhaps a community further afield maybe you want to do something similar to this or maybe you just want to do something like a EV bulk buy, electric vehicle bulk buy or maybe some community-owned solar panels on the roof of the pub, Community Power Agency can help with the process. Uh, um, so we're a support organisation. Great. Now, are you only for New South Wales residents or are you national? Both the orgs you mentioned and pre-power, so... Um, if people outside of the ACT, because we have a lot of listeners who are outside of the ACT um, are wanting to get involved. Is, is it still applicable to a residents outside of the ACT or, or New South Wales? So for pre-power, we want to get our first system and our first co-op, our first local co-op up and running, and then we'll be able to replicate that quite easily and help people train them up, pass on our, our tools that we've developed to them to replicate that quite easily. That's the model. Mm-hmm. So yes, but... We need to develop it first. Right, so something that's it, actually yeah, working it's, well. It's, so it will happen eventually. That's right, yeah. and we definitely need more help to do that. So mm-hmm. if you are in Canberra or even elsewhere, we meet via Zoom, of course, <laughs> because Tom's in Scotland. Mm. Um, so yes, get in touch. Okay, yeah. and Tom, if they wanted yeah, to get involved in your two orgs, just to back up what Scotty's saying, if if you're not in Canberra and you're interested in what we're saying about pre-power, do get in touch. And the reason for that is really simple is because you can you can help us make the first co-op a reality and that means it'll be possible to replicate it in the future it's also entirely possible that you can be an investor and it's also entirely possible that you could have solar panels installed on the roof of your house even though you're not in canberra the point is we're trying to build a local community based in canberra for the first co-op so we're very much looking for people in canberra in the first instance Um, Pingala has recently changed its name from Pingala Sydney to Pingala Community Energy and that reflects the fact that we're doing more and more work outside of Sydney Um, and effectively we we are a bit like a platform so if a community wants to do an investment fund raiser for installing the solar panels so people in the community buy shares they get a return on those shares and then simultaneously support a local business with installing solar. Pingala can help make that happen easily. And then Community Power Agency is a support organisation that operates all of Australia. Um, we have team members spread through New South Wales at this stage, but we're very used to doing work in uh, Victoria, ACT, South Australia and Queensland. And you can work in, in regional areas, I'm assuming. It doesn't have to be close to a city centre. 
Not at all, no. We're very used to working remotely. We are ourselves a dispersed team with one team member in Scotland, one team <laughs> member in Germany, and then everyone else geographically dispersed across New South Wales. <laughs> and yep. a lot of what we do involves travelling to communities to run things like workshops and public events and design sessions and so forth. Great. And I believe if there's any upcoming, they'll be on your websites, your respective websites. Yep, that's right. Okay, yeah. wonderful. So we're just about to wind up here. Are there any yep. last comments? I think yeah, Scotty has one, one here. One last thing. We <laughs> said that we want people in Canberra, but uh, co-ops can cross borders, so mm-hmm. Canberra region. Canberra region. Okay, fantastic. Well, it's been a real pleasure um, having you on the show, Tom. I really appreciate you taking the time and getting up super early in Glasgow to talk to us. And um, hopefully we can have you back again and see how these uh, wonderful incentives are going. And I think definitely after last summer's bushfires and all of the craziness, people are going to be seriously looking at um, clean, sustainable energy transitions. Yeah, thank you. I've I've really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Yeah, and because this is a Christmas show, even though we're doing a pre-record, we'll wish you a Merry Christmas, Tom. Yep, Merry Christmas to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. So um, just a reminder that uh, next week's show, which is New Year's Day, will also be a pre-record and we'll be looking forward to a show with our wonderful permaculture originator, David Holmgren. So don't forget to tune in to that one. That's a great one. It's uh, it's about permaculture and imagination. Yes, brilliant. And we'll be back uh, live joining you on January the 8th in 2021. It seems strange to be saying that date. Anyway, if you'd like to hear more behind the lines along with other great community content, you can support 2AA by becoming a sponsor or subscriber, volunteering with us or submitting your music. For more information, go to 2XXFM.org.au and if you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe to our Facebook page and keep up to date with all our upcoming interviews and guests. And you've been listening to Scotty Foster and Zena Richardson with Behind the Lines on 2XX Community Radio 98.3 FM in Canberra. We'll leave you to ponder the origins of our traditional Christmas myth with this exit song called A Spaceman Came Travelling by Chris DeBerg. No worries. And just before we go there, check out our podcast to A Line in the Sound where you'll find a, a large amount of back shows and heaps more. See you later. You have been listening to an episode of A Line in the Sound, the podcast made by Co-ops, Commons and Communities Canberra, Co-Canberra for short, the New Economy Network of Australia, or NINA, and radio behind the lines from Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Co-Canberra is working towards a cooperative Commonwealth. Our work builds strong communities, extensive commons, and a network of climate cooperatives. The New Economy Network of Australia is a network of individuals and organisations working to transform Australia's economic system so that achieving ecological health and social justice are the foundational principles and the primary objectives of the economic system. Behind the Lines has been running for well over 30 years on Canberra's oldest community radio station, 2XX. We do extended interviews with anyone who's trying to make the world a better place. All three are volunteer-run, so if you like what you heard on this episode, join us and become the media. To join up with the New Economy Network of Australia, sign up at neweconomy.org.au. To help out with Behind the Lines, or to help our editing team finish off a mountain of good Australian New Economy info, which includes editing training, contact us at behindthelines98.3 at gmail.com.
and see 2XXFM.org.au where you can subscribe, donate and volunteer to Australia's only alternative voice, Community Radio. If you're not in Canberra, there's definitely one near you. To help out with CoCanberra, contact us at info at cocanberra.org.au That's C-O-C-A-N-B-E-R-R-A.org.au Or come along to our monthly meetups, which we share with Nina Canberra Regional Hub, where we explore any and all aspects of the new economy. Find out what we're up to at cocanberra.org.au And finally, if you want to help fund me, Scotty, to go full-time with this and lots of other related work, look up LiberaPay. L-I-B-E-R-A-P-A-Y and search for Community Supported Scotty. From there you can find out about all my other projects and donate to help create a new appropriate economy. Thanks.